when you bring somebody to tears by describing what you do, that seems viable. That feels like it has a customer traction to be to be something real. So we we kept our eyes kind of on the prize. We knew that we could constantly keep moving there. From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. Any marketing expert will tell you the key to an effective message is simplicity. That's why the one-for-one model has worked so well for Tom's Shoes, Warby Parker, and many other brands. We buy the product, they give one away. It became hugely trendy for a new generation of brands that were driven by social impact. But little by little, we've seen many companies evolve the mission. Tom's shifted to investing a third of profits into grassroots efforts that create community. Love Your Melon went from giving away beanies to kids with cancer to donating profits to pediatric cancer organizations. Hippie Feet is on a similar journey. It started in 2016 as a sock brand and for every pair sold, gave a pair to someone experiencing homelessness. But partners Michael Mater and Sam Harper had an epiphany a couple years ago that they could make a far bigger difference by employing people in crisis to try to help them build better lives. The strategy is working, both to create jobs and to sell a lot of product. Because fundamentally, these guys really love socks. I'm actually wearing a collaborative pair of socks made by a local tattoo artist, Lindsay Boyer. She is the owner of B Inc. over in the East Side Phillips neighborhood. Cool. And so she uh, came together with us last year um, and designed a pair of socks. And they've been s- such a good hit that we've kind of kept uh, up with the collaboration and kept them on our website for a while now. That's great. Are there flowers on them? I can't quite see. Yeah, it's like a, like a 70s daisy with, you know, some teals and oranges. Very uh, cute. Mixed in there. Very cute. Yeah, and then I'm wearing a, a shamrock pair that we actually did with Finnegan's Brewery as well. Uh-huh. So staying true to my ginger roots and uh, <laughs> Rocking the Irish pair of socks A lot of today. collaborations, huh? Absolutely. Um, and do you sort of dress around your socks? Do you start with the socks in the morning and then decide what you're wearing? Oh, I try not to, but I will <laughs> I will totally admit that I, I do that probably four days a week. Yeah, I'd start, really? start with the socks and then see what else I have that can match it. Um, either that or I'd go and try and wear a pair of socks that is like as far from matching the rest of my outfit. Um, just have some fun with it. Socks can, you know. Make you feel make you feel a little bit more uh, confident in your outfit that day. Yeah. Well, I mean, they add a lot of personality, especially for guys. I feel feel like right. Totally. Definitely. A little way to add a splash of color to an outfit. Yeah. So, well, let's talk about why socks. How? Let, let's go back to how how did the two of you meet, and how in the world did you decide to go into the sock business? Yeah. Um, Sam and I met in uh, Hudson, Wisconsin. Over Christmas break, when we were both seniors in college, um, but leading up to our kind of first introduction, I was going to school in uh, University of Wisconsin River Falls, and I was a very typical college student in the sense that I knew I wanted an education, but didn't know what I, what I wanted to do with it. Um, I had uh, you know more interest in kind of the social aspects of college <laughs> than the actual learning part. Uh-huh. Um, but I was working at a bar at the time. Um, you know, they made you wear a uniform. Uh, so I was wearing fun and fashionable socks as a kind of a way to let my personality shine through. Um, so I've always enjoyed socks as like a fashion uh, product. Um, but the real kind of inspiration for Hippie Feet and, you know, why socks to answer that question is I had actually experienced a head injury during my senior year of college. So in the fall of uh, 2015, I fell off of a longboard. So I used to be a a skater of sorts. Um, I like to go down hills really fast and uh, I was not wise enough to wear a helmet. And Oof. unfortunately, I took a fall one day that uh, landed me in the hospital. Um, I fractured my orbital bone on the left side in a few places and then cracked the inside of my skull. Ouch. Um, obviously, that you know left me with a TBI and it forced me to drop out of school. I couldn't go to classes and I couldn't work for about three months in total. Mm. Um it was during that period of time that I relied on my family and friends for just about everything. They were paying for my rent. They bought my groceries. 
I had friends drive me to doctor's appointments. I even had friends like come pick me up and take me on walks out in nature just so I could get some like fresh air and have some sense of a social life. Mm-hmm. Um, with, you know, that kind of support, I realized that I was dependent on this group of people and that without them, homelessness would have been the most likely outcome for me. I felt really lucky to have this support group around me and felt inspired to kind of try and work towards a business that could act as a support group for those that weren't as fortunate as I, hmm. you know, recognizing that homelessness could have been, um, you know, the likely outcome of my accidents. I wanted to focus around the homeless community and, you know, trying to find out how can, you know, business address some of the issues within the homeless community while, you know, in doing some research and starting to put together some like really, uh, core elements of a business plan, um, you know, I, I started to realize that socks were uh, one of the most requested articles of clothing at homeless shelters. That kind of, you know, sparked the, the light bulb. Um, I realized then that, you know, there was this opportunity to donate socks to homeless uh, individuals and to homeless shelters within the Twin Cities area. And through that kind of, you know, excitement, I began to work on a business plan towards a buy one, give one sock donation company. Uh, so that, you know, that's why socks. It really started with just a kind of a fondness of socks as a fashion product, uh-huh. but then realizing that socks were, you know, in great need within the homeless community itself. Interesting. Okay. So Sam, where did you come into the picture? Yeah, absolutely. So as Michael mentioned, we kind of met through mutual friends uh, when we were back over winter break during our senior years of college at separate colleges and just got together in a group of people, um, chatted for a little bit that that night and then kind of went our separate ways. And so then about May of 2016, right as we were both approaching graduation, I actually got a call from Michael saying, hey, we uh, got your number from so-and-so. We had gotten together. We had talked back in December. Um, I actually just won this business competition and have some money. Would you sit down and talk to me about uh, this business plan that I have? And so I had some experience sort of in the buy one, give one space in a uh, in a previous charitable company. Well, can we talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I was with uh, Love Your Melon from the time I was a freshman in college to uh, my senior year of college, held a number of different roles with them, sat on their board of directors for a number of years, just kind of from concept to, uh, I believe we were doing about $6 million a year in scale by yeah. the time I was uh, wrapping up at the during my senior year of college. Another amazing story. We've, of course, had Zach on the podcast. Um, and did you you went in not as an intern? I mean, you were an actual employee, even though you were a college student. Yeah. You know, any early stage startup is a wear many hats situation. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. Literally in their case, right? Absolutely. Wear many absolutely. beanies. Wear yes. many beanies. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And so, uh, you know, I don't know if we even had uh, really titles at the beginning there. It was just a cast of friends helping out to make uh, this idea a reality. Mm -hmm. Um, But it turned out to be the education of a lifetime. As I was studying business at St. John's, I was able to apply it in a sort of scaling environment, in a a scaling retail business that had this give back component to it. It was just a masterclass in the things that I needed to be able to, um, you know, help get these businesses to life in the future. And so I think that's where I kind of came in with Michael when we had uh, conversations about the potential for Hippie Feet. He said, would you grab a beer with me, sit down, talk about this company? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I just graduated college. I was a broke recent college graduate, and I said, I'd love a free beer. <laughs> um, so we get together on a Tuesday night, and we sit down at a local bar in Hudson, Wisconsin. And I think I'm going to be there for about an hour or so. It was probably 6 o'clock on a Tuesday evening. I was going to get up the next morning to go work my corporate job that I had just started. And we ended up shutting down the bar that night. We were there for probably seven, eight hours. Um, when I walked into this bar, I got to meet this guy that I had just previously only had one or two conversations with. And he mm-hmm. told me about this business plan that he had. But he also showed me the most incredible dedication and enthusiasm to a business of anyone I had ever spoken with at that point. Hmm. Um, it was hard not to fall in love with Michael as a person and his passion with this business. And it was a good enough business idea that. I figured we could make it happen. Yeah. And at, and at this point, Michael, you were already talking about the one-for-one idea, which was probably why Sam was especially appealing since he'd had experience in that space. Oh, absolutely. You know, I was aware of Sam's experience with Love Your Melon just through, you know, conversations with our shared friend group and, you know, knowing how long he had been with Love Your Melon and such, uh, you know, how successful that company had been, you know, um, being in Hudson, Wisconsin at the time, that kind of had some... Uh, ties to um, Love Your Melon as well. So it was, it was highly talked about around town. And I feel like just being in such close proximity to a successful kind of 
buy one give one company at that time um, was you know both inspiring, but you know understanding Sam's background with the business was you know an obvious um, sign to me to reach out to this guy and and just try and you know pick his brain for any knowledge that um, he could possibly share about his experience with, sure. with Love Your Melon. Okay, so you close the bar and then what? Do you start working the next day? I think we said we should do this again. Uh, <laughs> I think we were just like, hey, this was fun. You know, this has been productive. Let's let's do it again next week and. Next week turned into the week after that and just kind of steamrolled into a, um, you know, a regular kind of uh, meeting timeline. And by September of that year, we were um, in a partnership together and had launched this um, one-for-one stock company. Okay. Called Hippie Feet. So we ultimately went from just a random conversation in early June to having a company on its feet in less than three months. That's pretty impressive. It was ambitious only the way the 22-year-olds are. (laughs) I guess. Um, Did the name come to you right away? I so when I was in recovery, I had put together like uh, all the roots for what Hippie Feet is is uh, or at least what it started as. Um, Hippie Feet, the name itself. um, You know, I. I had super long hair when I first met Sam. I had like hair down to that, you know, damn near my butt. Wow. Uh, type long, right? I want to see a picture uh, of that. No, you don't. Trust <laughs> me. No, we're, we're going to scrub that from the internet. But I always had a like, I, I thought very fondly of the hippie movement. Um, I thought it was so authentic and that it was really based in this idea of love and compassion for other people and for the planet. Um, it was really something that, you know, didn't necessarily get as far as, you know, one could have hoped, but it, it started all of the conversations that we're, we're having today, right? Mm-hmm. Um, about, you know, equ- equality for people, no matter what their background or what their uh, skin color, um, talking about sustainability and the need to preserve, you know, our planet because we're running out of resources. I think all that was really started and um, kind of fueled by the original hippie movement. And it's something that I look back at as probably one of the coolest periods of time to be alive. And I wanted to kind of pay homage to that through Hippie Feet um, because we were trying to do something very similar, you know, uh, you know, create products sustainably, think about our planet in both the short term and the long term. Uh, but more importantly, think about other people and think about what we can do as, you know, fortunate members of society to, you know, make this world a, a better and a more welcoming place for everybody else. Sure. Um, and that was really the, the kind of, you know, uh, the reason that we drew from the 60s and 70s for okay. a lot of our inspiration. All right. Makes sense. So you've got a name, you've got a concept, you've got a mission, you're, you're going to sell a pair of socks, you're then going to donate a pair of socks to someone in need, someone at, uh, through a homeless shelter, homeless organization. Was that the yep. original plan? Okay. How do you actually get the socks? Who made the socks to start? That's actually a pretty great story, you know, and not one I think we've told before, so you'll appreciate it. Um, we were really having trouble getting taken seriously by sock manufacturers. We knew we wanted to work with somebody in the United States. That was a value that we had. Um, it let us have a little bit more control over the manufacturing to make sure that it was being um, done in a safe work environment, that there were sort of ethical work standards at hand in the making of the product. Um, so we figure out who these manufacturers are, who are the people that can actually knit socks in the U.S. And it's a small industry. So we start picking up the phone and calling them. And no one's taking us seriously. We're 22 years old. We didn't have a big budget. Um, we don't really know what we're doing. All we know is we want someone to make socks yeah. for us. Well, well, stop on the budget part there. Did you have any budget? Were you putting in your own money to start? There was a little bit of our own money, but Michael had also won a pitch competition at the University of Wisconsin River Falls, where we had about twenty two thousand dollars. Okay, just that, for the idea of hippie feet. Yeah, for the idea, and for like, uh, it was it was a business model competition that focused around like uh, lean startup methodology. So it was trying to be as kind of grassroots and budgetless as possible, mm-hmm. and then you know how under that model can you actually launch. And then start running a company. Mm. Um, so it was really kind of a, you know, it was equally an educational type program uh, as it was like a serious, you know, pathway to launching a company. Yeah. Um, so that was uh, the Wisconsin Big Idea Tournament is what the competition was called for uh, the state of Wisconsin. Nice. Okay. So you've got a little bit of money. A little bit. Nobody's taking you seriously. What do you do? So I told Michael, next person that you get on the phone, tell them that you're showing up at their factory on Monday. <laughs> okay. And. So they called our bluff and they said, all right, we'll talk to you on Monday. So we buy Michael a plane ticket, probably Sunday night or something like that, and (laughs) throw him on an airplane out to Hildebrand, North Carolina. 
Um, and we, that was kind of the step that we needed for somebody to take us seriously is to actually show up at their doorstep and show them that we were serious about this. Um, and that established our longest standing uh, manufacturer relationship. Uh, we've been working with these people for five years now. We talk to them pretty much every single day. Amazing. And we've really kind of built this connection with this family in North Carolina that's actually manufacturing our clothing products and our socks um, using, you know, a hundred year old, uh, knitting mill in North Carolina. So, so the lesson there is show up, show up in person. Absolutely. (laughs) Call call people on their blog. That's fascinating. Did you have designs? Had you guys made the designs for what you wanted on these socks? At this point, we weren't even designing socks ourselves. We had gone down there and essentially, you know, had looked at socks that they made for their own internal line at that point. They had I've uh, been making socks for other companies and we're just like, all right, like, you know, I had no idea how a sock was made at that point. Um, just literally zero clue whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so we were just like, all right, show us some good designs and we're going to kind of adjust them and tweak them. And that is going to be our starting six pairs of socks. And as we kind of became more familiar with their manufacturing process, the process of, you know, how, how the hell is a sock made? Um, what do they need from us in terms of design materials before they can start knitting a pair of socks, um, you know, to the design that we specified? Um, we had to kind of just learn from the ground up how you make a pair of socks, how you design a pair of socks. So initially, we, we had just kind of picked some colors and some patterns that we liked, um, you know, picked the type of yarn that we wanted to use. We were very focused around using sustainable materials as well and found that recycled cotton was the most sustainable material that we had access to to knit a pair of socks. Um, so we chose recycled cotton, chose some colors, and, and chose some patterns. Mm-hmm. And that was the first you know, six pairs of, of Hippie Feet socks that we ended up releasing to so uh, the world. what was your first order? Did you have to order a huge quantity? They were, they were willing to work with us. And actually, in retrospect, we've had conversations with them about, about this. And they say, we took a chance on you. We were bending over backwards to make this work for you. Hmm. Um, so it was kind of cool. They were willing to work with us in really small quantities. They were able to kind of walk us through the learning process with something we had no education or familiarity in. Mm-hmm. Um, they were just kind of one of those serendipitous events uh, of our paths crossing with, with these folks. That's so great. So you've got your socks now. How do you sell them? Where did you go? <laughs> yeah. uh, so I think our very first sales event for Hippie Feet was a music festival in North Minneapolis. Yeah, it was called Boom, the, the, Boom Palomino, Park, yeah. the Palomino Festival. It's not around anymore, but um, that's what we really did. We, we just kind of hit the pavement and we would talk to anybody who would listen to us about mm-hmm. this. So we were doing events in the community pretty much every weekend, going to farmer's markets, going to little local town fairs. We were doing that for almost a couple of years straight just to kind of get cash flow through the business, to start to build out um, what would eventually become the company today. But yeah, it, it was a struggle early on. It was just brute force and sheer power of will making it happen. It didn't yeah. occur to you or you didn't think you were ready to go to stores? Did you try it all to, you know, specialty stores, department stores, anything? We were clueless. That was yeah. that was its own sort of learning curve for us. We were um, eventually today. We are probably in about sixty different retail locations. It's not a big focus of ours, but that's certainly become part of our business. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that took it. We had to learn that industry kind of from the ground up, uh, and so that was completely new to us as well. And at what point you do sell direct through your own website? Now, did you at the start? We tried. Yeah, certainly. We definitely tried. Um, that was that was kind of uh, another space where we had zero experience um, and just kind of had to learn it and, um, you know, make changes along the way. And thankfully, we, you know, we have learned it and have been able to make pivots and adjustments to kind of our, our uh, you know, digital marketing strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam actually leads that part of the business and has gotten quite good at, you know, turning a dollar into two. Uh, when it comes to advertising through things like Facebook and Instagram, other social media channels. But what about selling directly, your e-commerce site? Has that worked well from the beginning? No, we actually just kind of spun our wheels on that early on. And so, again, it was just kind of a a learning process and building out the foundation, building out the fundamentals of the business, understanding who our customer was, understanding how to talk to them. Mm -hmm. A really kind of interesting thing is you, you see a lot of really, really good companies follow the model where they see a customer need, they meet that customer need, and then talk to that customer. We didn't do that. We created something that we thought was cool, showed it to the entire world, and just tried to figure out who it resonated with from there. So we didn't actually know who our customer was when we were starting out. We didn't know 
um, exactly how to reach them or how to speak their language. Yeah. And we've developed that over time. But in the first year or so, um, we really didn't have a great idea of who this business that we were creating, who it was going to resonate with. What, that's such an important factor, I think, right? And probably a good lesson for people starting other businesses today. Um, what did you figure out as far as who your customers are and how much did they care about your one-for-one mission, the fact that you were giving socks to home, individuals experiencing homelessness versus just you know, selling them for fun? How much did that matter? Yeah. I mean, we broadly describe our customers as the conscious consumer. It's the people that believe in the power of their dollar and how, that, how they can make a difference by spending differently. And so those are the people that we resonated with. But, and the idea of us giving a pair of socks for everyone sold resonated with them as well. But that formed a little bit of a dissonance for us within the business. After we, you know, that first holiday season, I think we sold about 20,000 pairs of socks. And then Michael and I went out in his Honda Accord, the back of it packed full of socks on the streets of Minneapolis and St. Paul, going into homeless shelters in the community and donating these 20,000 pairs of socks, the one for one. Mm -hmm. Um, And we started week after week to see a bunch of similar faces. We started to realize that we were telling our customers that we were going to do this great thing by donating socks. We did exactly what we said we would, but it started to feel very empty and hollow, like we're giving out socks, but we're seeing the same faces. People are still homeless. We're not actually making a difference in their uh, lives. Okay. We learned that donating a pair of socks addresses a symptom of homelessness. Mm-hmm. The fact that there is a lack of socks within the homeless community. You know, socks being the most requested article of clothing at homeless shelters. The reason for that, you know, if you're experiencing homelessness, especially in this state, you're walking a lot. Yeah. Um, you, you burn through socks. It's just kind of, you know, it comes with the territory. Um, but by just treating symptoms of homelessness, you're not actually doing anything to resolve the issue itself. You are uh, not able to focus on any of the underlying causes and start addressing those issues because that is how you actually diminish the number of people experiencing homelessness is you figure out, you know, what is causing this and how can we provide legitimate support that gets people out of their current situation. And, you know, we, we had realized that Simply donating a pair of socks um, was strong marketing, but it wasn't a very strong impact. And we wanted to have that impact. You know, I talk about my experience or my realization after my traumatic brain injury led me to realize that I had this support group around me. I had people that were lifting me up when I couldn't do it myself. And just, you know, if someone someone came along, gave me a pair of socks and said, good luck, kid, I would have been screwed. Um, So we wanted to you know, kind of make sure that we were being the support group for others. And we learned that by giving someone a job, by giving them an income opportunity, that was the best way that we could support them. It was, you know, kind of putting the power back in their hands and allowing them to make decisions that, you know, were beneficial for them and move them along the pathway towards self-sufficiency. So you sort of evolved the model. You, you didn't change completely. You still had a focus on solving this dramatic problem, obviously, of homelessness, but you're going to go about it in a different way. So what did you do? Yeah, we began to, you know, look at parts of our business that uh, we could use as a, as a method of providing jobs, essentially. We began to work with um, a couple of individuals that we had met through, you know, our nonprofit partners, places that we were donating socks to. Um, we said, hey, look, you know, we need help with packaging our socks. Would you be interested in working with us, you know, once, twice a week just to package some socks? Um, that, that kind of first initial employment opportunity, um, we saw how impactful it was just for those two individuals that we started to employ. Um, you know, one of them had just moved here from L.A., he didn't have a job. He, you know, had a hard time finding a job. He had some uh, uh, kind of uh, past uh, criminal record issues that was limiting his ability to find stable employment. Um, but as soon as we were able to provide him with some stable income, he was able to find a couch to crash on that turned into, you know, he was able to find employment outside of hippie feet. And all of a sudden he had his own apartment and things were starting to go a lot better for hmm. him. And he started to or he, he kind of credited the income opportunities that we were providing as you know, being motivation, motivational for him to go out and seek more income, to seek more stability on his own. And so you know, just with that one kind of case study, if you will, uh, we realized that providing someone with an opportunity to earn income on their own is much more effective than just making a donation, even if you're just donating cash. Um, it puts kind of you know, control back into that person's hand. 
it allows them to, you know, earn instead of be given an mm-hmm, income, mm-hmm. Um, which for a person's, you know, dignity, I think is super sure. important. You're empowering You're them. empowering them, exactly. So were you guys doing enough volume at this point when you realized this? And this was what year that you sort of changed to the hiring employment model versus the one-for-one? So we piloted this employment program in 2018. We were still doing donations through the end of 2018. Um, but in 2019, we threw the one-for-one model out entirely and solely focused on providing jobs to homeless youth. Got it. How many pairs of socks did you donate under the one-for-one model? Yeah, it's about the 20,000 mark. Okay. All right. Great. Um, So you were doing, I mean, were you making money at this point? Were the two of you paying yourselves? Uh, So we were on the entrepreneur budget, right? (laughs) Um, So I was working a corporate job on the side. Ah. I was working ultimately two full-time jobs. um, And yeah, so I, d- I didn't take a salary or anything for about three and a half years uh, at the beginning of the business here. You've left your corporate job now? I left my corporate job at the beginning of 2019. And thankfully, now we're doing volume where we can um, you know, afford to buy groceries and that sort of thing and hire a team around us. And so the business is succeeding. But it, it was a um, all of the cliches about the ramen noodle budget and mm-hmm. everything like that and entrepreneurship needing to be really gritty at the beginning. That was, that was all real for us. So what was the turning point? When did you start to really see the volume you needed to make this a viable business? I think the kind of transition to the employment program really helped us, um, you know, firm up our understanding of what Hippie Feet was and what we were trying to do. And therefore, that translated with our customers' understanding of, of us as well. Um, I think, you know, because we got our values really um, dialed in, that allowed us to uh, share those values in a way that was much more digestible with the end consumer. Um, I think we really turned the corner actually at the start of the pandemic, at the start of 2020. Hmm. Um, the month of March was our worst m- revenue month of, of all time. March 2020. March 2020. Yeah, well, everybody um, basically they stopped buying everything. Yep. Um, Sam and I threw a ticker up on our whiteboard of the office for how many days until we run out of, of money and declare bankruptcy. <laughs> oh, boy. At, um, at 26 years old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, got, it got down to under 20 days at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that was really what forced us to adapt and, and, and learn, you know, how are we going to be able to pivot and focus our attention on our direct consumer side of the business and really drive growth specifically through that. Um, it kind of put our back up against the wall and I think we were able to fight our way out of it and now have a pretty solid base underneath us and, and have showed really great growth ever since. So yeah. how'd you do it? Yeah. So I would add to that, that there, that was kind of the moment for me where I knew that we could really s- scale aggressively. But even since pretty much day one, we knew that this would be a viable business. When we were doing all those community events that I had ma- mentioned, um, when you bring somebody to tears by describing what you do, uh, that seems viable. That feels like it has a customer traction to be, to be something real. So sure. we, we kept our eyes kind of on the prize. We knew that we could constantly keep moving there. Um, but the way that we were able to actually accomplish it was um, at like a tactical level. We figured out our digital advertising during the pandemic. We really used the time period to connect with customers and show that um, you can make a difference in somebody else's life, that you, you are giving, you're purchasing a pair of socks or any of our products. It, it does have a real impact on somebody's ability to not only sustain themselves in a really difficult time, but move themselves forward to make progress and to take a step forward on the path to self-sufficiency. That connection with our customers is really what allowed us to start scaling the, the business really aggressively about a year ago. Do you have any data at this point that, that tells you? I mean, how, how many pairs of socks do, does the average person buy in a year? And, and are they, is it socks first and then I'm going to buy them from Hippie Feet? because of the mission or is it I want to support this business sure I'll take another pair of socks yeah the average our average customer is buying 1.6 times a year and they're buying about three pairs of socks at a time Um, so we're getting uh, that's a good number of repeat customers where people are coming back after they buy our socks and it really is the mission that's driving that purchase decision Um, we are at a little bit of a higher price point where if you just simply need socks you are more than likely just going to go to 
Target and buy a six pack for $9 or whatever. Um, we are certainly more expensive than that, and we have to be more expensive than that because we're making our products in the U.S., we're making them with eco-friendly materials, and of course, we're supporting this mission. Mm -hmm. So for the people that those three qualities or any of those three qualities are important for, um, those are really our customers. So you saw orders begin to pick up online. Yeah, absolutely. Um, pretty much all through the pandemic, we had our, our best e-commerce uh, year of all. And we also make a lot of custom products, B2B, where we are uh, making custom socks like the ones Michael and I are wearing right now uh, that larger companies give as employee gifts or promotional items. Mm -hmm. um, and we really saw that starting to get traction around the same time. There's this renewed call for bigger businesses to now be uh, more socially responsible and teaming up with somebody like Hippie Feet is a really strong way for them to do that. So kind of the rising tide of e-commerce and our B2B business is really what's allowed us to be um, successful over the past year. At the same time, you'd figured out that, that your, the, the mission side of it was to employ homeless individuals, and suddenly you can't have anyone in the office at a time when business is picking up. So how did you handle that? Yeah, so you know, in 2019, when we had committed full-time to this employment program, we had, we had piloted a program called Pop-Up Employment, where we were bringing jobs directly to youth homeless shelters and other nonprofit um, organizations, drop-in centers and whatnot within the Twin Cities community. We would go in there and say, we're going to be here for six hours today. And if you would like to work, um, you'll get paid at the end of the day. Um, all you're doing is kind of packaging socks and some other you know, uh, product assembly type related tasks. Um, that was a really big draw for people that would pop into these drop-in centers that are looking for a shower, looking for a bus token, looking for a meal, um, you know, truly experiencing homelessness in, you know, in, in, its, in its full definition. They'd pop in and be able to earn an income. Mm -hmm. And what we found that that was, was an alternative to survival cash, meaning the income that you're going to receive on the streets um, and is likely earned in a illegal or in kind of um, unhealthy uh, manner. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you need $50 to turn your cell phone bill back on so you can communicate with, you know, future employers, um, uh, guidance counselors, anything, you're going to earn that income. You're going to find it and it doesn't matter how you're going to find it, you're going to find it. And so we were providing an alternative to that. And it was something that we knew wasn't scalable in the way that we needed it to be, but it was kind of a, a good enough experience um, at, that, at that moment. Were you guys doing that yourselves? Would you go to the homeless shelters with all of the packing materials? About, about uh, twice a week, we'd go with all the p packaging materials, you know, few boxes of socks. And our goal was just to leave with fully packaged socks that day yeah. um, and, you know, provide income in the process. And then as far as the rest of the business, was that just the two of you or did you have employees in 2019 as well? It was uh, wear many hats roll again, right? We were, we were doing everything from okay. the marketing to the finance and sourcing the products, running the employment program. We were literally just doing everything between the two of us. So mm -hmm. we were spread pretty thin there, um, but we were somehow making it all happen. Okay. So along comes the pandemic. You're probably not allowed to go back into these homeless shelters. Every single nonprofit that we were working with shut their doors to us, Ugh. to their employees, to the youth that they serve. They just practically closed. And we were sitting here scratching our heads being like, all right, well, this isn't this pandemic's not going away. Um, it's going to be here for a while. How are we going to be able to provide this employment? You know, this is our mission. This is like what this is like what we stand on as a company. Um, how are we going to stay authentic to that? You know, when we can't be in person with with these individuals. Um, early on, we had a creative solution where we would take boxes of socks and either ship or deliver them to uh, hotels, transitional living facilities. Um, we were able to connect with some people that we had employed in the program prior that had like been couch surfing or had, you know, uh, joined some extended family members for the early months of the pandemic. We'd actually ship them socks and say, we'll pick these up in a week and we'll have a check waiting for you when we pick them up. It was able, uh, it allowed us to kind of still stay true to that uh, employment model, um, but it was the least scalable solution we could have come up with. Mm -hmm. um, we knew that there was no way we'd be able to grow with that model and that we needed to, to find an alternative to it. Uh, well, as more information came out about social distancing, how this virus is contracted, um, you know, the effectiveness of masks, we, we realized that this was a good time for us to start in-housing our employment, meaning literally host young people in our offices uh, four days a week under one roof. Um, early on, we, of course, you know, and still do require masks within our warehouse. We have hand sanitizer stations set up throughout the warehouse. 
Um, we tried to be really um, precautious about this because these young people are exposed to a lot of risk already. Yeah. And we don't want to be the people exposing them to more risk. Uh, we wanted to you know, be this opportunity provider and not expose them to anything potentially even more harmful than they're currently facing. Um, but you know, the pandemic actually forced us to kind of solve the issue of scale around our employment model. And today we are working with groups of five to eight people at a time. They're under a six-month contract with Hippie Feet. They will have 15 to 20 hours of, of work a week for that six-month period of time and with uh, the potential for more work over the holidays when it's really busy for us. Um, but this way, we're providing the same group of individuals stability and income over an extended period of time. It allows them to build a base. It allows them to add a legitimate reference to their resume. Um, and it also builds kind of their confidence and then you know, general work skills so that they're mm -hmm. ready for the next step. So how, I mean, you, you've talked, you both have talked about scale and what's scalable and what isn't. How are you thinking about this now? How, because fundamentally, if you're going to keep helping more people, you've got to keep bringing in new employees, right? And, and so that's the, that's the six-month piece of it? Yep, absolutely. And it's an unfortunate situation, but there's no lack of young people in the state of Minnesota to help. Yeah. On any given night, there are about 12,000 young people under the age of 24 who are experiencing homelessness. Mm. That is just ridiculous for such a prosperous state like we're in. So the pool of people that our employment program can support is big enough to accommodate scale a million times over, and that's unfortunate. Um, but as we look to sort of broaden our national footprint, that's where we really come into the challenge of how do we make this personal to each individual community? And there are a few different ways to do that. Obviously, Michael and I cannot be hands-on in these separate communities. But what we can do is team up with nonprofit partners there who are the experts at homelessness within their communities and really empower them, financially support them, um, you know, back their employment programming in a way that it both supports hippie feet and it really provides a sort of crucial resource to their communities in a way that's best fit for each individual community. I have to think that there are machines that can do a lot of the things that you're having individuals do. Is it realistic that, you know, is it cost effective, you know, to have people doing this work if you're going to grow into a bigger national brand? And I don't know, do you want to be a big national brand? I think we, we definitely want to be a big national brand. And I would just challenge you on the idea that it's not cost effective. I, I don't know. Is it? Am I wrong? Uh, no, you're not wrong. But it, that's not the point. The, okay. wor the world doesn't need another sock company. The mm -hmm. world needs us because what we're doing for these young people. It doesn't matter if it's effective or not. It doesn't matter if it's the most efficient or most profitable way to run our business. Sure. We'll figure out other things. Michael and I will take less money. We will figure out ways to make other parts of our business more efficient to accommodate the way that we are supporting these young people because they need it more. That's great. That's great. And, and have you figured out to a point that right now in, in your current volume, you are able to, are you able to turn a profit with the way you're set up currently? Yep. We, we finished up last year profitable and we're on track for another one this year. Um, so we can do good while doing well. That's amazing. That's so great. So what does the next year hold, the next five years? What are, what are, your, what are your plans? What are you thinking? Yeah, right now our challenge is just keeping up with the growth that we've seen in the last you know, 18 to 24 months. Mm -hmm. um, we have grown you know, faster and quicker than we had in any year prior. And we're still on track to keep up with that growth rate. So now the challenge for us, um, you know, in the next year is, is just to make sure that we're kind of keeping up the momentum, keeping this ship pointed in the right direction. Um, you know, looking forward, I think uh, one of the things that I really want to stay focused on is, you know, building out more, uh, a, a greater ability for us to have a deeper impact with the young people that we employ. Um, you know, Sam and I recognize that we can't do everything. Homelessness is a really, really vast issue. Um, and there are, you know, hundreds of reasons that can cause a person to become homeless. And so we don't want to try and tackle the problem, you know, in its, in its biggest existence. We want to, you know, do what we can do and do it better than anybody else can. And that is employment. So, you know, we are looking to build out the effectiveness of our employment program. We are looking to add partners on the tail end of our employment program that we can essentially refer our youth workers to, um, you know, warehousing, shipping, and, and uh, order fulfillment. There is, you know, several organizations that employ people to do very similar tasks that we are hiring our young people to do. 
So ideally, if there is a way for us to not just grow the impact of our program while it's existing within Hippie Feet, but also to grow the impact of the program outside of our organization, I think that's something that we, something that we really want to focus on is you know, kind of creating this stepping stone process for yeah. young people to go through that leads them towards you know, self-sufficiency um, when they complete that, that stepping stone process. I was going to say, in terms of stepping stones, do you have any examples of people who have worked for you and then did that lead to full-time employment somewhere else? Yeah, we actually had a really cool sort of full circle moment about a month and a half ago um, where we had a young person who had been in our employment program previously, a young man named Pierre. Um, and he gave us permission to use his name in this context. So Pierre, uh, Pierre was out of work for a, a little bit and actually came back to Hippie Feet's employment program. He had worked with Hippie Feet for about a year and a half. He had been uh, referred out to a full-time position. He had a full-time job, got into school, and he came back and said, hey, I'm graduating with my associate's degree in nutrition. Mm. I made the dean's list this semester, Aww. but I lost my job. Uh, is there any way that you guys can help me out? Um, so we were able to provide him short-term employment for, I think he was with us for two weeks, yeah, before, weeks he had, total, yeah. Yeah, before he had a full-time job again. Um, and that's where Hippie Feet really exists. He credits Hippie Feet as being that stepping stone mm -hmm. uh, when he was experiencing his moment of adversity as an early 20-something, he was able to come to Hippie Feet, get an income to support himself, be able to get a referral to a full-time job, get back on his feet. And we were there when he had to do it a second time around because the path to self-sufficiency isn't always linear. Right. Um, but we've been seeing that more and more. The more young people we work with, the more success stories we've been having. And it's cool to see it work at that level. Could other companies do this? I mean, the, the idea of having a, you know, a place where you could go and work for two weeks and you just until you're ready for the next thing. Do you think others could do it? Absolutely. I think, I think companies are already doing it. Um, you know, people hire temp workers for, you know, one-off tasks all the time. And I think it's, you know, not whether they can do it, it's whether are they committed to trying to do it. Um, you know, I think that, uh, Working with people experiencing homelessness doesn't mean you're going to get the most efficient workers. And like Sam mentioned earlier, that's not, that's not what, is what is important to us. Uh, what is important to us is making sure that these people have you know, fair opportunities to get ahead on their own. Mm -hmm. um, so I think other companies can certainly do it. I think they just need to you know, make sacrifices elsewhere and understand that this isn't going to be an efficient worker and that's not the point. The point is to you know, use your good fortune, use your resources to create further opportunity that is going to, you know, better our society as a whole. I wanted to ask you guys also about the the one for one model. And it seems like, I mean, Love Your Melon too moved away from that after they gave beanies to every child cancer patient or some crazy number. And it seems like it's a starting point. It it had a it had its moment. Is it past? Is it is it a good way to start or should companies looking to to have a mission be thinking broader? Yeah, I think there are much deeper ways to give. I think that there are really two things there. One, are you actually meeting a real need? Mm -hmm. And I would question if a lot of one-for-one -one programs are actually doing that. I think um, many times you're better off just donating money and giving it to the community that you're trying to benefit and really empowering them rather than saying, here are shoes or here are a bunch of socks. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's really about empowerment and giving agencies to giving agency to whoever you're trying to help. And then the second component is the one for one model by definition means we have to sell something and then turn around and do something. It's a commitment, it's a promise you're making to your customer and the community that you benefit. With something like Hippie Feet, we've been able to bake our mission directly into our core business. We never have to make the decision between well We've never had to ask ourselves, do we want to donate an inferior product to save money? Do we want to, mm. um, should we delay this donation because the cash isn't there right now? As if you're holding a pair of hippie feet socks, that has gone through the hands of a young person experiencing homelessness. Your purchase supports, supports young people just by those socks existing. Right. Um, and by baking it really into a core into our mission like that, it, it feels that it's a, it's a more authentic, um, deeper way of giving rather than just a superficial handout at the end of a, a purchase transaction. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and that's really great insight. Um, do you two are you are you having fun? Is is it what you thought it would be, running a company like this? 
I, I absolutely we're having fun. Yeah. Um, I will be the first to admit it is way harder than we had anticipated. You know, back when we were uh, bright-eyed college kids that saw the r- world through rose-tinted glasses. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely has been more challenging than we could have ever anticipated. But I think we've done a really good job of rising to meet that challenge and pushing forward in the ways that we need to. What would you add to that, Sam? Yeah, absolutely. I, I talk about that original story of uh, us sitting down at a bar together. Um, and in retrospect, it was kind of crazy for two people that really didn't know each other that well to take this leap together. Mm-hmm. Um, we went into this as business partners, but I've come out of it with a best friend. I mean, it, that is just a lucky situation. And if there are any, any other founders that are listening to this podcast, they don't probably know how common it is to have friction and a hard time with their business partners. You go into it knowing each other maybe as friends. And you might not leave that way. We were kind of the opposite. And that's a really exciting thing. Every day is fun. Do you divide? How do you divide and conquer? I mean, was it quite obvious to both of you who should do what? It's taken some time to figure out. Yeah. Um, Today, Michael's really kind of leading the charge on the mission side, the actual product development, and then manages sort of our B2B relationships when we're making these sort of custom products. Mm -hmm. And then I'm kind of taking points on our marketing, our finance and then our e-commerce presence. Okay. I got to ask, what, what are the sock trends? What, what, what kind of socks are we going to be wearing come fall? Yeah, well, like we mentioned earlier, we pull a lot of inspiration from the, we'll call them the good design aspects that came out of the 60s and 70s. Um, but for us, I think we're going to be focusing a lot more on some warmer winter socks. We released a pair of wool socks and some alpaca flea socks um, last holiday season, last fall. And we sold way more than we had anticipated. Hmm. Um, you know, I think it's uh, wool socks are, are quite popular among certain crowds, especially if you live in the upper north part of this sure. country. Sure. And don't you think also people were spending more time outside? I know I was. Yes. I spent way more cold weather time outside during the pandemic. And I'm a native Minnesotan. Absolutely. I think, I think that is a big, uh, a, a big part of this as well as people were kind of embracing the outdoors more yeah. so because they didn't really have the, you know, the indoor social life to, uh, to enjoy last year because of the pandemic. So I think there's a big push outside and a big push into, you know, kind of these nature related activities. And so a good pair of wool hiking socks fits that need quite well. So we'll be continuing to kind of focus around some more warm uh, socks for the cold weather. Okay. What is, is Christmas your biggest holiday or do you sell a lot for Father's Day? Yeah. You know, we're, we are, uh, we are a Q4 business. Okay. So yeah, that, that last two or three months of the year for us is really kind of our core sales period. And you'll see that with really any sock company. If, yeah. if you ever go on Google trends and type in the word socks, you'll see that there is about one week a year where uh, more people Google the word socks than Jesus. Um, <laughs> we are bigger than Jesus one week a year. Wow. You got to yeah. live for that. Absolutely. Right? That can keep you going the rest of the year. A, a little something to get you out of bed in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Sam and Michael, it's such a great story. Thank you for sharing it here and, and best of luck as you continue to scale this business. Hey, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, Hippie Feet is such a great story, and Sam and Michael are really so inspiring in their conviction and commitment to their mission. But that, of course, has come with its challenges, as you heard, and there have been a few missteps along the way. For some perspective on how to go about launching a mission-based business and what to do and not do, let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business, where David Alexander is an associate professor of marketing. Professor Alexander, thanks for joining us. Hi, Allison. Uh, thanks for having me on. Well, I, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to the Hippie Feet story. And I'm really curious, um, f- with, your, with your academic hat on, what were your takeaways from the way these guys went about setting up their business? So I, I, I really love the idea behind Hippie Feet. But from an academic perspective, they uh, basically did it. Uh, exactly the opposite of what we would have wanted them. <laughs> Oops! How so? Well, you have this this great idea for uh, a mission, and mm-hmm. you're committed to it. Uh, but what we want from a, a brand perspective is we want to be able to have people buy into uh, our commitment, and so we want to do the research to figure out what exactly is. Right? What's our mission going to look like? What are we going to communicate? 
And then who is great? Who wants to buy into that? So we do the research. We go out and we find out who wants the opportunity to be part of our mission Mm -hmm. from the consumer side. You go out and and you do the research to find out uh, who wants to be part of your mission. And you train change your dream to satisfy them. You change your dream uh, to uh, uh, fill that opportunity. Right. So so you can have a, I, I think it's it's a tricky balance because when you've got a mission and you're, you're, that you're trying to fill, and in the case of Hippie Feet, it was providing socks to people experiencing homelessness. So the natural thing to them seemed launch socks. But you also have to do the market research on who is the audience that's going to buy that product, those socks. Right. So uh, they took the approach, we're going to sell socks, and then they went to uh, went to the market, they went to farmer's markets, all these things, and, and they tried to create the opportunity mm-hmm. rather than go and do the research, find out who wants to, right, who buys into your mission, who wants to support you, mm. what kind of socks do they buy? I see. And, and then that becomes, right, who you're going to satisfy, because they're the, right, those, those are the people who are most committed to your mission. Right, right. So it seems to be working out for them, but you're just saying they could have perhaps uh, saved themselves a couple of steps if they had looked at that audience as, as one group to begin with. Right. So, and they talked about how, uh, you know, it was a challenge uh, and, and they have identified from a mission perspective, what is the mission? And they have identified the conscious consumer as that's my target market. And so they understand who it is now. If they had started with that, then they wouldn't have been out there essentially competing uh, against themselves, right? Because people buy socks for different reasons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so if people are buying, right, if people are looking uh, and interested in your socks because they say something about me from a style perspective, that's different than I'm interested in your socks for your mission. Right. And, And so you create a situation where you're talking to the marketplace in multiple ways that, that aren't consistent. And so from a branding perspective, we always want to avoid that. Sure. Well, well that's, that's great advice. And I think it's really important, especially as so many entrepreneurs are looking to be in the business of social enterprise and doing good while they also do well. Thank you so much, Professor Alexander, for your insights. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Allison. And thank you to our sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. If you want to know more about the show, go to tcbmag.com slash by all means. That's where you'll find all the episodes of the show and all the great takeaways. Thanks again for listening to By All Means. teamwork to make by all means and we've got some all-stars thanks to our audio engineer tom for digital support is ricky hannigan and dan nepo thanks to the university of st thomas senior media relations manager vanita sakar and associate dean of the schultz school of entrepreneurship laura dunham for all their help our theme music is by song finch hope you enjoyed by all means by all means